Hi, welcome to our podcast. Just before we get into our lesson today, we just want to update you on a new project that we have at Gibbs Street. In April, we will be beginning a three-month series looking at the life of Jesus as told in the Gospel according to Matthew. This will be uh, 13 lessons telling the story of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection. Along with this, we are going to be offering a 90-day devotional book to correspond to the lessons that we're hearing. Um, This will contain readings from the Gospel of Matthew and it will have some questions, some prayer requests and some other resources. Um, The church here is going to be following along with this devotional book and we would encourage anyone who's listening to the lessons to receive one of these books and to follow along too. We will be providing an electronic copy of this devotional book on our website, uh, www.gipschurch.com. We'll also be happy to send out physical copies to anyone who would like to follow along. If you would like a physical copy, please head to our website and send through your name and your address and we will post some out to you. Thanks and enjoy the lesson. Good evening, everyone. Let's look at God's name this evening. The story is from Exodus 3. It's a fairly familiar story. It's about Moses being in the wilderness and he approaches a bush. We teach this to kids all the time. Uh, It's a very familiar story to most of us. But there's some really interesting things about God himself and the identity of God that comes from this story. And specifically, this story is where we first learn God's name. And that is a really big concept throughout the rest of Scripture. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. For Exodus 3, there's this bush that's in the desert, and it's particularly important because Moses notices it's on fire. And that's not normal things that happen to gardens. And and of course, the, the bush is not consumed it just stays burning and so he approaches it and he comes to talk to the well it's called the angel of the lord and then it's god himself who is in the bush and as we see as we go down through the chapter when moses approaches he asks what is the name of god let's read verses 13 and 14 It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Names are really significant in uh, modern Western culture. We tend to pick names based on what sounds nice, what has a nice ring to it, rather than the meaning of the name. That's counter to almost every other culture that's ever existed. Almost every culture gives names based on a circumstance, based on the history or based on some kind of meaning that they insert into that name. So you think of different Bible characters. We looked at Lo-Ami in the Lord's Supper, but you think of people like Jacob or Esau. They were given specific names to reflect a circumstance that was there when they were uh, born. And the names that you might hold, names like uh, even even titles, like doctor or uh, mister or missus, those things reflect 
things about you, don't they? They tell you about the, uh, they tell everyone about the circumstances that you're in. So if you meet someone and you say, nice to meet you, and they say, my name's Dr. So-and-so, that tells you a lot about their character, doesn't it? Um, or if they have a name that's, that's very difficult to pronounce, you might think, oh, well, well, maybe they're from a different culture to the one that I was raised in. Um, or, or maybe they have a particular thing about their name that tells you something interesting. So what do you name God, though? Because you name Esau hairy because he's hairy and you name Jacob the heel grabber because he grabs heels. But what about the being who doesn't depend on anything else? What kind of name do you give to the ultimate being? How can you call him something when he is the ultimate thing? He doesn't depend on anything else. He doesn't get his origin from a, you know, a particular story here or there. He doesn't have any anything that you can call him that relates it to some other circumstance. So God says, my name is, I am who I am. Or some of your translations will say, I will be who I will be. Because God is completely independent. You can't give him a name that's related to hairiness or heel grabbiness because he just is. He just exists like he is. So in the Hebrew, he says, call me Eche. Uh, which is a beautiful name for your kids, isn't it? Eche. Uh, and it means I will be because what is the characteristic of God? He will be. He just is. He will exist. He does exist. He has existed. That's who he is and that's what you call him. But of course, it would be awkward if God, go, if uh, Moses goes to the people and he says, I will be has sent me. That's kind of a weird sentence. So he changes it and instead he says, he will be has sent me and in Hebrew that is the word Yahweh so Ehe means I will be and Yahweh means he will be isn't that interesting so that's where God's name that's where the name Yahweh comes from he will be because God just is and there's nothing else really to say about his name the word Yahweh um, is this Hebrew word it's used over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. It's used all the time. And it's translated as Yahweh or as Lord. And you notice there I've put Lord in all capitals. And that's really important. If you haven't noticed this about your Bibles before, in the Old Testament, sometimes when it says Lord, it's got it in lowercase and sometimes it has it in all capitals. There's a very clear distinction here. Um, so look at Psalm chapter 8 with me. Psalm chapter 8. This is where it's shown very clear. In English, there are two... Um, there, there's one word, Lord, to describe two Hebrew words that are actually different. So in Psalm chapter 8, verse 1... It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So you notice there the first Lord is in all caps. The second Lord is in lowercase. And that's to distinguish two different Hebrew words. But we just translate them both as, as Lord there. So the first Lord, the one that's in capitals, is this word. It's Yahweh. It's God's name. It's He will be. And the second word for Lord there is more the name for master. It's what you would call, if you're a slave, you would call the master of your house, master so-and-so. Or even in um, England where they have the lords, 
um, and the house of lords, that, that's the, the, the word that we would use there. It doesn't mean you're the supreme being. It doesn't mean you're God. It just means you're a master. You're a ruler in some sense. So this verse is saying, O Lord, as in, O he will be the great Lord, our master. How excellent is your name? That's just important to, to differentiate the two. When it says Lord in all caps, that's God's name. When it's not in caps, that's a description of his position uh, as our master. So we have these two words, Lord and Lord. The lowercase Lord is the word Adonai, meaning master. The uppercase Lord is Yahweh, meaning he will be. So the Jews, when they were copying scripture, they held God's name in such high regard because God's name was everything to them. God's name was sacred. It was holy. And so they didn't want to misuse it at all. They didn't want to get caught. They, they even got to the stage where they didn't even say the name of God because it was so sacred. So they banned speaking the name Yahweh. And in, when you were reading out scripture, you'd be reading along and it would have the word Yahweh there but you were not meant to say it because it was so sacred. You were meant to substitute it with Adonai to refer to God's name. You couldn't say it because it's too important. If you still go on some uh, Jewish websites today, in English, if they have the word God, they'll often leave out the O in the middle. So it'll be G and then they have a hyphen and then D because the name of God is too sacred to write down or to speak out loud. So imagine you're reading synagogue, you're reading scriptures in synagogue one day and you're just reading and do you ever do this where you just read and you're not even thinking about what you're reading? The words are just coming out and it's disconnected from your brain. Well, what if you're reading and you accidentally read the word Yahweh and you're not meant to say that name? Well, the Jews thought, let's fix this. Let's make sure that no one accidentally says Yahweh so we'll change the word Yahweh and every time we have the word Yahweh come up in the Old Testament, we'll create a different word so that people know to say Adonai instead. So they took some of the, word, some of the letters from Yahweh and some of the words from Adonai and mixed them together and got this word. So they took the Y from Yahweh, the A from Adonai, the H from Yahweh, the O from Ad Adonai, W from Yahweh, you get it, Okay. <laughs> And they got this word, Yehovah, right? And the point is, you're not meant to say Yehovah. You're meant to see this word and go, that's right, that's the word Yahweh, but I'm meant to say Adonai. And it was to stop people from accidentally saying the name of God because it was so important. You see what this word is, right? You, you probably get what this is. So when the Christians first started translating the Old Testament, they got to the word Yehoah and they thought, I don't know what that means. Let's just write it out in the, in the Latin um, that we have. And so they made it the word Jehovah. They didn't realize that that's, a, that's not a word. This is a device that's meant to represent that word, but you're meant to say that word out loud. And that's where the word Jehovah comes from. So if you want to know what the name of God is, the name of God in the Hebrew is Yahweh, but they say Adonai because it's too important and they use this word to kind of bridge between the two. You can see how confusing this all is. So that would be what's written in Psalm 8 and verse 1. O Yehoah, our Adonai. And what you're meant to say is, O Adonai, our Adonai, because God's name 
is too sacred. Interesting, right? I think that's interesting. That's where the word Jehovah comes from, and, and we sing things like hallelujah, praise Jehovah, and in reality, um, it's, just a, it's just people who spoke Latin and they didn't know what they were doing when they were copying out the Bible. So when they were copying Scripture, the Jews were really certain on getting it 100% accurate. They did not want to make a mistake with Scripture. They thought that that was pretty much the biggest crime you could ever commit. So here are some of the rules that we know that the Jews um, obeyed when they copied Scripture. They could only use clean animal skins, both to write on and even to bind manuscripts. So if there was any blemish, any blemish in an animal, it wasn't allowed for Scripture. You could use that for other books, but don't use that when it comes to the Word of God. Each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. So you have to count exactly how many so that we don't accidentally do too many and, and it becomes complicated and we mistranslate. The ink must be black and of a special recipe. So none of these four-colour pens, uh, Jews couldn't use those. It had to be a special Jewish black recipe. They had to verbalise each word aloud while they were writing. So you couldn't just copy it out and silently do it. You had to speak the word of God to make sure you knew the words and you were copying out directly. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. Every time you come to the word Jehovah, you have to go and take a bath, you have to put on new clothes, you have to wash your pen, and then you write the name of God. That's how sacred it is. And you don't even write the name of God. You write a different name because the name of God is too special. Um, There must be a review within 30 days. And if as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript had to be redone. You make three mistakes, you're gone. That's the three-strike rule for uh, Jewish scripture. The letters, the words and the paragraphs had to be counted and the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, the word and letter must correspond to those of the original document. The documents could be stored only in sacred places like synagogues. You couldn't take it home with you. You couldn't have a copy of the scriptures in your house. You're not worthy to carry the holy scriptures. As no document containing God's word could be destroyed, they were stored or buried in a geniza, a Hebrew term meaning hiding place. These were usually kept in a synagogue or sometimes in a Jewish cemetery. So if you had an old copy of scripture, it was so important that you needed to have fresh, new, um, perfect-looking copies of Scripture. So if you had an old copy, well, you couldn't burn it or throw it out because it's the Word of God. So it had these big pits in the ground where they would place the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? They took these things really seriously. Um, Paul says in Romans that they had zeal without knowledge. And you can't doubt them on their zeal, can you? These people were so incredibly religious and so zealous for God and his holiness. Turn to Exodus chapter 20 with me. Exodus chapter 20. Moses comes from the burning bush. He goes into Egypt. The plagues come. He leads the people out of Egypt. He takes them into the desert. 
And he comes to the mountain, Mount Sinai. He goes up on the mountain and he receives ten commandments. These commandments, the Jews never thought that these commandments were like that you had to keep them more than the others. They knew all of God's commandments were important. They just saw these ten as like the the central ones. These are the, um, I guess, the ones in the middle that, that are the core of our religion. You have to keep all of them, but these ones are extra special. So Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord, and that's capital, so that's the word Yahweh, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'm guessing you've probably heard this before and you probably think that means to to blaspheme, to say God's name in a way that you don't mean it seriously. That's not actually really what the um, Hebrew says there. Um, People have misinterpreted this for a long, long time. The word take there is the Hebrew word nasa. And it's not, it doesn't really mean take. It means carry. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And this is the first time that the word nasa is used. In Genesis 4.13, when, when God gives a punishment to Cain, he says this. Well, Cain says this. Cain said to the Lord, uh, Genesis 4.13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. It's greater than I can carry. That word bear there, or carry, is the word nasa. You shall not take, you shall not bear or carry the Lord's name in vain. You see what it means? It's not... It's not talking about um, accidentally letting God's name slip in a, a in a secular context. Now, I think that that should be avoided at all costs. If you um, respect God's name, you will avoid using his name trivially. But the real point of Exodus 20 verse 7 is don't carry God's name in vain. Don't bear it in vain. As in, don't call yourself after Yahweh and do it in an empty way. Don't live a life that is contrary to the name that you are carrying, which is God's name. Let's look at um, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Paul is writing to the Romans and he's talking to the Jews who had pretended like they were um, innocent and that they had never done anything wrong. And he, he says, um, he gives them this very blunt and very forthright um, conviction. He says in Romans 2 verses 17 through 24, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, you know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So if you are such a good law-abiding Jew, and if you really think that you have obeyed God, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, 
the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What commandment had they violated? They had commanded, do not take the Lord's name in vain. They were carrying, they were bearing God's name and yet the name of God wasn't being honoured among other people because of their actions. The name of God was being blasphemed among others because of their actions. This is actually a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah condemns the people of that. You are carrying God's name and doing it in a worthless way. You are saying that you belong to Yahweh, but your actions show otherwise. We have a name that we're given. It's the name Christian, isn't it? And we're given the exact same command in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. God is serious about his name and people who carry God's name have to take this very seriously. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If you're going to carry God's name, even in this new covenant, you have to depart from iniquity. Don't think for a second that you can carry God's name and carry on with the activities of the world. You have to, have to give them up. In fact, it's better if you want to keep going with the activities of the world, just stop calling yourself a Christian. Just stop holding on to God's name. You're actually doing him a disservice. And that's what Paul is so passionate there about in Romans chapter 2. He's saying, how dare you take God's precious name and show it off to the world and at the same time have behaviour that is despicable. When Nathan confronts David, he says regarding his sin, you have made God's enemies to blaspheme him because of your actions, and that's why the child would die. Because David's actions had caused God's enemies to badmouth God. Before you or I attempted at any point this week. There are a lot of things at stake when temptation comes knocking on your door. One of the biggest things that's at stake is God's name will be blasphemed if you bow down to that temptation. I know it might seem like harmless and it seems like it's not a big deal, but God is serious about sin because it's his name that we are blaspheming. And he can't stand it. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. Acts 11 and verse 26. We'll look at two more verses. Then we'll close. It says, Hold on. Acts 11 uh, and verse, yes, 26. Uh, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. um, They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, the word called there is a very special word. Not the same word that's used back in Acts chapter 8 where it says there was a man called Simon. This is a special word which means that God specifically has called them. It's used nine times in the New Testament and every single time it refers to a divine 
name that was given, a divine instruction that was given. When it says the Christians were called, when they were first called Christians, it means that God had given them that name. He had permitted us to wear the name of Christ. So what do we do with that? We make sure that we revere God's name through our actions, through living a life that honours the name that we've been given. The name of Christian, the name of of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's just go and finish in Psalm 69 and verse 6. Psalm 69 and verse 6. And let's make this our aim this week. Psalm 69 verse 6. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonour through me, O God of Israel. Let me never be a stumbling block to someone else who is seeking after Christ. Let me always strive to live a life where I am bringing honour and respect to God's name through the kind of life that I live. 